Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Some people sometimes think that the Bible is a confusing book. If they read it without studying it real carefully, they may feel that sometimes the Bible contradicts itself. Many cannot make sense of the various claims that the scriptures make with respect to salvation. Because if you read some passages of scripture, such as passages of the law, like the Ten Commandments, you might be given the impression that if you keep the Ten Commandments, then you will achieve eternal life. Other passages teach that if you do good or if you do certain things, that will grant you the ability to live forever. Some passages, though, teach that no one is righteous, not even a single person. Jesus, in today's gospel, teaches that the Ten Commandments cannot be taken just from the surface, such as you shall not murder, but instead they go much deeper than that. There's a much fuller explanation to the commandments, which show that we have broken all of the commandments. So then how can we achieve eternal life when the law suggests that we could actually enter heaven by keeping the law. Some passages teach that the only way to heaven is through Christ or by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when people hear that, they think that then the Bible gets a little confusing. And then to confuse people even further, we can see how divided the Christian church is. If we study what various denominations teach, we will see that the various denominations among Christendom teach some wildly different things. And some denominations flatly reject biblical teachings. They'll say, well, that was then and this is now. Or they'll say that the Bible contains the word of God, but some of it is simply opinions of man. And there are many denominations that teach that the Bible is entirely God's word, They'll say that they teach the Bible purely and rightly, truly, but then those denominations don't agree with one another. So, for example, our church, we believe that the the entire Bible is the Word of God. We believe that we are teaching it rightly and purely, but yet we don't agree with the next church that's a non-Lutheran church that makes the same claims about the Bible and how they are teaching from the Bible. As a result, this makes many people wonder, since we all believe in Jesus, why should we make an issue out of these things? Should we really care about differences of belief? And plus, how can so many denominations not agree with each other? Does this make so many of them wrong? Then we begin to think, well, maybe not. We might begin to say, well, maybe they're just different expressions of that same faith. The problem with that logic is then it makes us think that it is okay to agree to disagree, that we don't need to hold to complete agreement on what God's word teaches. We begin to think that if there are dozens of different viewpoints on a particular teaching, then each of those viewpoints are the same and each person should be entitled to believe what he wishes. But that's not what the word of God teaches us. We hear from scripture that God himself is one. We hear from Scripture that God's teaching is one. We hear from Scripture that God wants us to be perfectly united in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
We hear from the scriptures that God wants us to mark those who cause divisions and, and offenses contrary to the doctrines that we have learned and to avoid them. We learn from the scriptures that God wants us to believe that which he teaches in the Bible and that alone. So then the question arises, what does God teach? Especially when some passages seem to contradict each other and when so many different denominations are contradicting each other. You have churches like Rome that teach that not only faith, but also good works bring about your salvation, that you need a, a good reserve of good works. You need to do them. You need to do acts of penance, and then you need the good works of the saints to credit to your account, uh, so that way you can achieve eternal life. And then you have other churches, like many non-denominational churches and some Baptist churches, that teach that you are saved by faith alone, which is what we teach, but then they teach that faith is something that you do, that it's something that you are able to conjure up, that it's your commitment to your Lord, which then, by making faith a work, it puts them back into the same camp as Rome, which says you need to have works for your salvation. Lutherans, on the other hand, teach that our justification, our declaration of being not guilty, the forgiveness of sins that Christ imparts to us, is granted to us by grace through faith alone, and that this is the only way to salvation. Our works do not contribute toward our salvation. They can, they can identify that we are a Christian, but they don't gain us heaven. Lutherans teach that faith itself is not the work of man, that man cannot conjure up his faith, but faith is worked by God, God the Holy Spirit, as the Christian hears the word as the Christian receives the sacraments, then faith is worked. So if we want to have stronger faith, if we're concerned about our faith, first of all, we recognize that we don't put our faith in our faith, but we put our faith in Jesus. He alone died for us on the cross. So we trust in him. We don't look inside of us. We look to who is outside of us. We look to Jesus for our salvation. And then if we want to have stronger faith, we study the word. We go to the Lord's altar. We receive the body and blood of Christ. For God, the Holy Spirit is at work when we are in the word and in the sacraments. So back to this idea about different ways to salvation as different churches teach. Who is right? Uh, dare we say that one is right and others are wrong? And if one is right, does this make the right party better than all other parties? Well, to see the truth concerning the way to eternal life, we must recognize a few things. First, we cannot conclude that the Bible is unclear. We must recognize that the Bible is clear. It is our own sinfulness and often our own preconceived ideas that try to muddy the waters and make the scriptures appear to be obscure. Second, we cannot take passages out of context. Easy to do, but we need to read scripture from within its context. Third, it is important to examine other passages of scripture which relate to the teaching that we're trying to gain clarity on. So by studying what else the Bible says on it, we can come to a fuller understanding for the, uh, on the passage that is in question. And fourth, it is often necessary to distinguish between law and gospel. So I started by asking about the way to salvation, talked about the Ten Commandments, implied that if you keep them, you can live. Jesus himself said that, by the way, if you do them, you will live. So 
how do we distinguish? How do we, how do we understand this? We have to recognize that some statements are statements of the law and some statements are statements of the gospel. The aim of both law and gospel is to bring about our salvation. But the law doesn't save us because we cannot fulfill the demands of the law. The only way we can be saved is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins which he imparts to us, that declaration of being not guilty. And one other thing is also important for us to always consider, and that is our own opinions and our own ideas. As much as we really want to cling on to them, we need to let them go. They might seem to be rather practical or pragmatic, but if they contradict the Bible, we cannot hold on to them. For our opinions and ideas often get in the way of God's truth. That really is, frankly, one of the reasons why so many different denominations exist, because people are too willing to listen to what they feel is right than to listen to what God teaches is right in the scriptures. And so when it comes to matters of doctrine, our own personal opinion, our own feelings, our own experiences are usually irrelevant and they are sometimes harmful. And so we let God be God. We let him teach us his truth. We are not God's counselor. He gave us his word, not us. He created us. We did not create ourselves. He redeemed us. We did not bring about our redemption. And so we listen to him and to him alone. So what does God teach with respect to eternal life? Well, we do have the Ten Commandments. We heard them today. We heard what God was instructing his people and what they must do to follow him. The Ten Commandments aren't just accusations, although they very much are but they are also instructions on how we are to walk and how we are to live. Jesus, as I had previously pointed out, had already said, do this and you will live. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and you will live, Jesus says. But who is my neighbor is a question. Who are we to love as ourselves? That's when Jesus teaches the parable of the Good Samaritan, pointing out that everyone is our neighbor. So if you can do this perfectly, you won't, you, you, you'll, you'll live, Jesus teaches. But the problem is, none of us can keep God's law. If we listen to the full weight of the Ten Commandments, we will know that we have been guilty of breaking all of them. That fifth commandment, you shall not murder, doesn't just mean taking another person's life. But as Jesus teaches in today's gospel, it goes far beyond that. If you're angry with your brother without cause, you have, you're in danger of judgment. If, if, you have, if you hold grudges, you have broken the fifth commandment. If you have failed to help your neighbor who is in need, you have broken the uh, fifth commandment. If you have ignored your neighbor's bodily needs, you have broken the fifth commandment. And what this means is all of us have broken this commandment. The scriptures are true. They are right. Paul repeats the Psalms when he says, no one is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. All have become unprofitable. That describes us. And so even if, even though the scriptures teach that if you could keep the commandments, you will live, we know that that is not the way we can achieve eternal salvation. We have not only broken the law, but we've also inherited sin the very sin of Adam. We are born uh, un, 
We are born unrighteous. We are born in the filth of Adam's sin. And so that sin, which we have inherited, condemns us. And therefore, we cannot be saved even from what we did, we do. So even if we would try to keep the commandments, as we should, it will not bring about our salvation from having inherited this sin. We can't even be saved from our best intentions. For God holds guilty all who are guilty, whether they know their guilt or not. And so from all of this, we can see that the way to salvation is not found in our observance of the law. Our works are inadequate. And so while the Bible does teach that we may be saved through perfection, none of us are perfect. Jesus, later in his Sermon on the Mount, will even say, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so salvation must come another way. As we heard this morning in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. These two groups were the church leaders of the day. And when Jesus preaches these words in his Sermon on the Mount, it's very early in his ministry. They don't yet realize, the crowds don't realize the great criticisms that Jesus is going to make against them. The crowds had looked to the scribes and Pharisees as great examples of faith. These scribes and Pharisees certainly tried to be righteous. They certainly tried to have clean speech and to dress well and to treat others well. They were busy doing good works. They thought that they were good at keeping the law. In fact, they felt they were so good at keeping not only the moral law, but also the ceremonial law, that they had invented for themselves additional works for them to follow. They had regulations, laws on how to wash their hands and wash tables and even couches before they eat. And it's all so that they can show how good they are. But the reality is, Jesus says, you have to be better than that. They were still sinners. They, in their sin, did not see their sin. In their sin, they did not recognize that they had inherited the sin of Adam. In their sin, they figured, well, okay, I can save myself. I do not need a savior. And through, because of their sin, they did not have eternal life abiding in them. So if you wish to be saved, you must be better than they are. Your righteousness must exceed theirs. But as Isaiah declares, your righteousness is like filthy rags. All your righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so you need to have a better type of righteousness than that. And so while your good works might be of a huge benefit to your neighbor, and while your neighbor certainly needs your good works done for them, those good, those good works for you, if they're done apart from faith, actually count as debt before God. They serve as no payment for your sin before God. But when you believe in Jesus, when you receive Christ, when the Holy Spirit works his faith in you through the word and the sacraments, you are then credited with having something that comes from outside of you, something that you cannot create, something that you cannot muster up. For you are credited with having the very righteousness of Christ. Then your good deeds are sanctified by God. And God the Father looks at you and sees your good works, and he is well pleased with you. He sees that God in, in Christ is covering you, and therefore he, the, the, he, is, he is well pleased. And so God is doing the action, not us, because God is the one who saves through his son who paid for our sins on the cross. 
Now, if our works could save us, we would be our own saviors. But instead, Jesus is our savior. He's the one who shed his innocent blood for you on the cross. For Christ himself is the righteousness that, that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He is perfect in every way, and he credits you with his very perfection, his very righteousness. So when Jesus says, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he is saying you are perfect because he credits you with his very perfection. He has redeemed you by his blood. He has reconciled you to his Father in heaven. He has earned your forgiveness by, by paying for your sins on the cross. And so he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as the substitute for your many sins. He became your sin so that you can become his very righteousness. So do you want to know the way to eternal life? It's really clear. It's really not even hard. It doesn't begin with you. Don't navel gaze. Instead, claim Christ as your righteousness. He died for you. He's the one who vouches for you. He's the one who acquits you. He's the one who judges you righteous. Those, the, the, the accusations of the law, they may reveal that you do not measure up, but Jesus is the one who measures up in your place. And you measure up when you are united to Christ, which is done by grace through faith, and which first occurs in what Paul writes about in our epistle through baptism. For when you are baptized, you have a new identity. You become a new person in Christ. Your old Adam is drowned. You are united to the death of Jesus. You have died to sin, and you are raised in Christ. As Christ himself is raised, you are raised in his perfection, in his righteousness. You are his. Jesus has become your brother because you are adopted as a child of God in the waters of holy baptism. The holy name of the triune God is placed upon you in your baptism. This is all done for you as a gift to reconcile you to your father to forgive you and to clothe you with that very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so simply put, as Christians, we live lives of daily contrition and repentance with God and with one another. We plead guilty of our many sins, and then we focus not on our sinfulness, not on the many wrongs that we've done, all the regrets of our past, but we focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we focus on the good deeds that Jesus has done to bring about our salvation. We focus on who we now are in Christ, that we are saints, and we rejoice in this reality, what God has done for us. So do you want to know the way to eternal life? God teaches you. His word is clear. Christ himself is the way, the truth, and the life, and you come to your Father through Christ. Jesus declares you justified and righteous by grace through faith. Christ just, uh, he drowns your sins and he announces that you are a child of God. What a gift, what a comfort you have in Christ Jesus, your savior, and what knowledge you know so that you can be prepared to meet the Lord whenever he should call you home. The law of God remains important, but this gospel is your dear treasure 
it is far greater, for it reveals to you Jesus and the true way to salvation. The word of God is clear. It is spirit and it is life for you. Amen. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.